In this sermon series, we're studying the wisdom psalms. These lyrical lessons to live by proclaim practical understanding for our daily lives while pointing us to Jesus, the very embodiment of all wisdom. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Y'all want to help me out with this? I got my kids up here for something. Get my drink. All right, I'm going to ask them a question. This is from the, the New City Catechism, and I'm going to let them give you guys what the response is, okay? What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That we are not our own, but belong to God. That's it. Thanks. Great job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's from the New City Catechism. Years and years ago, uh, I discovered this through the Gospel Coalition, and we brought it home to our house, and we started, there's 52 of these truths about God that you memorize. So over four years, we've gotten to about, I think, number 20. So we're, we're working on it. Slow and steady wins the race. At its, they have those kids' versions that are the, the shorter answers. The longer answer reads like this to the question, what is our only hope in life and death, that we are not our own but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's a good word for us today. It sets the tone for the 49th Psalm. So we dive in today to Psalm 49. We're in a series through the, through the wisdom psalms. And we were in Psalm 1, uh, was the first one we tackled, and then Psalm 36. And both of those psalms spoke to the wisdom to choose something. One was the right path, to choose the right path. And then the second was uh, to choose uh, to live in the ultimate true reality of God's way. And then the last two weeks we were in Psalm 37. And we looked at what it looks like to react, and then in the following week, act in a world where wrongdoers win. So we continue this week with Psalm 49, which is going to zoom in on a very specific way that wrongdoers tend to win. They did, they won this way in the days of the Psalms, they still win this way in our current day and age. But it's also something that even as children of God, we have a propensity to wander towards. And we'll see that uh, play out today in Psalm 49. Because it zooms in on the human propensity towards what most people call materialism. Desire to find stuff to satisfy our deepest longings. I'm going to use the word today, though, accumulationism. I made that up because what I want us to think about is beyond just physical resources and materialism tends to make us think of physical things but as we'll see today there's other things that we try to accumulate for satisfaction and hope and joy and so accumulationism is what psalm 49 speaks to and it speaks to us in in a couple ways one it speaks hope to our fears what you'll see with the psalmist today is that he has a fear, and there's two sides to his fear. One is he fears those who have accumulated power, wealth, influence, in the way that they can cause trouble in his life, that they can hold power 
and authority over him in ways that can lead to, to his, his trouble and uh, his discomfort. But what he also fears, and what some of us often fear, is when we look at wrongdoers winning, we fear that maybe we've chose the wrong path by following after God. If we're honest and open enough to admit that today, then uh, we should. The fact that when we see people who are going about it not God's way, but going about it their own way, have success and wins and all of that, that we think maybe I should go that path as well. So it speaks hope, though, to that fear. The next thing it does is it pushes back on our foolishness. Each one of us, myself included, our <laughs> foolish, wandering hearts when we desire to go after stuff instead of going after God's ways. And so what we'll see today is that nothing this world has to offer can register any weight on the scales of eternity. But Jesus can. So we're called to fearlessly follow him. So Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us by your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It starts with a superscription to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So these, we don't, I don't know how many sons there were. We don't know how many sons there were. If it was like a collaboration, I don't know. Uh, but they were descendants of Levi, who was the third son to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. His third was, was Levi. If you are familiar with much of the Old Testament or even just a little bit of the Old Testament, you know that the tribe of Levi, those descendants would be the ones who served in the tabernacle and served in the temple. The sons of Korah were musicians who served in the, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And so they, uh, those descendants, they would write and perform and, and lead out musically. And so they've written this psalm, this psalm, the 49th psalm for us today. It starts with an introduction. There's three interesting things, at least there's more than three interesting things, but three interesting things I want us to see in the introduction. Before they even get to the meat of this psalm, they say this, Psalm 49, 1 through 4, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Three things. One is about this psalm specifically. One is about the psalms in general. And then one is an observation about wisdom. Concerning this psalm specifically, it's obvious. It's for everyone. Rich, poor, low, high, it's universal. It's for all of us, including uh, us today. Concerning the Psalms in general, verses, verse 4 in particular, ver, or verses 3 and 4, could almost be the header for this entire Psalm series because we, we gave it a title, Lyrical Lessons to Live By. And he points to that. He says, I'm going to, to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give it to you to the sound of music. This will be wisdom set to to music. Those are two simple observations. The one's a little, the third one's a little deeper, but it is vastly more important. When they start this psalm, they start it by saying, Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world. And if you have read through the Old Testament, that should be familiar to you, that sort of language. But the people you've heard speak that most in the Old Testament are prophets. 
those who speak on behalf of God. And so what you see here is a correlation, right, between wisdom and what would be Old Testament prophecy, speaking for God on behalf of God. They both come from the same source. True wisdom, just like true prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't come up with wisdom on their own. They didn't come up with their prophecies on their own. It came, it came from God. And this reminds us that true wisdom has that source, and only one source. It comes from God. We see wisdom through God's word and through the word made flesh, Jesus. These are our only sources of wisdom. And, and listen, today, if it contradicts the word of God and the way of Jesus, it's not wisdom. It just isn't. I don't care if it's from the left or it's from the right. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it's old school or woke or hip or lame. If it contradicts the word of God and the way of Jesus, it's not wisdom. It isn't QAnon or CNN or I got all my letters here, PragerU or HBO or WSAZ or IEB Radio Network. It's the Word of God. I care if Tucker Carlson said it or Rachel Maddow said it. It doesn't matter. If it's not the way of God or the Word of God, it's not wisdom. I don't care if it's a TV preacher. I don't care how many Instagram likes it got, how many times it got shared on Facebook. It doesn't matter. We have to own this as the children of God. Because there's so many things in this world that claim to be wisdom to us, especially if you spend any time on social media. It's everywhere. Things claiming to be wisdom for us today, but if it contradicts the word of God, it's not. So those are three things we notice in the intro. Uh, one of them vastly important. We know that if it doesn't come from God, it's not true wisdom. Now he poses a question. And this is how the psalm will go. He's going to ask this question in verses 5 and 6, and he's going to come back and answer it in verses 15 through 20. But in between, he's going to interject some wisdom for us. That's how it'll play out. He says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their abundance and of their riches? Now, I want to stop with the first line. It's interesting to me that he doesn't say, why do I fear? He says, why should I? Now, why do I fear is an important question. Like sometimes, man, maybe in life, sometimes you find yourself churning or lashing out or angry, and it can be a very helpful question to ask, what am I afraid of? Why am I afraid right now? And try to get to the source of what it is that's causing you to fear. But eventually, right, we, we can't keep analyzing our fear for the rest of our lives. We have to move on to the next question, which is the psalmist question. Should I? be afraid? Is there a legitimate reason in light of biblical wisdom and biblical truth for me to be afraid right now? Not in a condemning way, like in the sense of like, you know, toughen up type of thing, but a true self-assessment between you and God with the Bible open saying, should I be afraid? And so the psalmist asked that. He says, should I be afraid in, in times of, of trouble? And he gets specific about why he might be as he poses the question. 
What he's saying here is that in his life, many of the wrongdoers who win, many of the wrongdoers who win are people who have accumulated riches, status, control by doing whatever it takes to get those things. Know today, and we'll see it more clearly at the end, this isn't a psalm against riches or accumulation of anything. It's a psalm against those who have put their trust and their faith and their um, reliance on anything that isn't God. And what uh, the psalmist has seen is that people who do that will do whatever it takes to get that stuff. And he has been trampled under by those folks. And not only that, but they boast about it in the wake of it. Look at our wealth of money and possessions and influence. Look at us. So he has to deal with that. Accumulationism, to, to carry that term forward, is not just about money. It's not just about cash. That's not the only currency of, a, of accumulationism. There are all kinds of things that we try to stack up, right? Like little dragons with our hoard of whatever it is. Some of it's physical and, and tangible. Some of it's not. We measure quantify and store up all kinds of, of things. We do it with experiences. Some of us, that's what we want. This experience, that experience, we've got to try this new thing and do, do that new thing. Some of us, it's influence. We want to have control of situations. We want to have people see us and, and know us. For some, it's affirmation. We're people pleasers. We'll try to hoard up all the affirmation that we can, accomplishments, Comforts, arguments one. I mean, you could go on. Vacation days. I'm trying to hoard up some of those. Not really. I don't, get, I don't get vacation days, but I'm taking them anyway. Tomorrow. I'm leaving. Whatever we desire, whatever we want, we will try to stack up that, that coveted currency. Whatever it is. All humanity has this bent. But now what the psalmist is experiencing is something different than what we experience as the children of God. If you're a child of God, you will still be prone to wander into these things. But if you're not yet a child of God, if you're not a Christian, then you cannot help but be enslaved to the sin of accumulationism. And these folks that are bearing down on the psalmist, they're enslaved. And maybe they have begun to oppress him emotionally or oppress him physically. You'll see this. People who are after what they want at any cost, they'll mock others, put others down, they'll cheat, they'll lie, they'll steal, they'll undercut, they'll slander, they'll gossip, they'll do whatever it takes to get what they want. And the psalmist has happened to experience that. If you get in their way, they'll run over you. At the same time, he may have the fear as he looks around and he sees the wicked, the wrongdoers winning to say, have I chosen the wrong path? This way of following after God doesn't seem too lucrative right now. Doesn't seem too safe right now. Doesn't seem too great right now. And so he has this this fear. Should I be afraid in, in times of trouble? When people are hell-bent to get what they want, even if they have to step on me to get it, and when I see other people winning and I wonder if I've chosen 
the wrong path. We need wisdom today, and he interjects it. He starts in verse 7 through 9 by saying, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. The sons of horror go straight to the final scene of death. The great equalizer, man. Right? You can't pay for your own freedom. You can't. That's the first interjection he makes. You can't buy your freedom on that day, that last day, no matter what you've accumulated, whether it's physical and tangible or it's emotional or if it's, you know, whatever, you will not be able to buy your freedom. You won't be able to pay off sin. You won't be able to pay off death. You won't be able to buy your way out of the grave. No matter if you're Jeff Bezos or Mother Teresa or your sweet old granny who had the picture of Jesus knocking on the door over the couch. Doesn't matter. I can't pay it. You can't pay it. So he goes on to make that point even further. Verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. He says this is for everyone, those who are wise, those who are foolish, all of us will die. And when we do, all our stuff goes to the next people in line. You don't get to take it with you. You don't get to keep it. Your wealth, your trophies, your plaques, your assets, your awards. Ever been to a state sale, right? That was somebody's hoard of stuff that they accumulated through their life. And now they're getting 40 to 20% of its value at an estate sale. Or if things maybe go a little bit better, it gets left to your family and they fight about it. Or if things get a little bit better, they don't fight about it, and they're all kind, but then it ends up in the rummage sale. Or in a couple generations, people are like, why do we still have this stuff? You don't get to take any of it with you. It doesn't last forever. Verse 11, he says, their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling place to all generations. So they called lands by their own name. Where you live after you die is your forever home. Where you live now is not your forever home. Now, well, whatever, that's cute to post on Instagram when you finally find that house of your dreams, and that's great. And We've probably said things like that, too. I get that that's not what we mean, but truly, your home, your kingdom that you build, build here on this earth is not your forever home. Where you live after death will be. You see this when you're out driving around, especially in West Virginia where the population is decreasing steadily over the years you'll see what was someone else's kingdom for a while is now grown over with weeds and dilapidating along the side of the road some homes that used to be absolutely beautiful are now abandoned businesses that people thought would would provide for generations of their family are up and gone they moved on so when we die right you don't get to, to take it all with you we just uh, found out that the farm my wife grew up on, they officially got the name changed with the post office. It is now Childers Farm Road, my wife's maiden name. But that doesn't give it any staying power. It's cool. I'm excited about it. It's really fun. I'm, I'm sad that we had to write Balls Gap Road when we lived there. That was terrible. But uh, now they, whoever's living there now gets to write Childers Farm Road. 
But it doesn't give it any staying power. One day that'll mean nothing to. Verse 12, he kind of ties it up with a bow. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. I love this comparison. Here's what he's saying. He's saying for those who pursue accumulationism, those who are going after fill in the blank with whatever it is that you tend to desire more than God, whoever goes after this stuff, they think they're the hunters, that they're out there going after it and they're going to get it. But they're actually the ones being hunted. They're being hunted by, by death. And death will capture all of its prey. It always does. It never fails to capture its prey. And so the hunted or the hunters become the, the hunted. Death always catches its prey. Listen, the soccer team for Marshall, how incredible was that run? So they're now national champions in soccer. NCAA Division I national championships, phenomenal. Uh, the, the highest level of achievement um, as far as trophies and, and awards are concerned of any team at Marshall University. A few days after, there was a gentleman on that team who had scored three game-winning goals in a row, including the golden go goal in the, in the championship game. And he posted a video of his golden go goal, and behind it he had put the song uh, Live Forever by an obscure uh, British band called Oasis. You and I are going to live forever. They're not obscure. They beat me up if I told if I said that about them. They thought they were bigger than the Beatles. But they but their song said, "You and I are going to live forever." And there's something right when I saw that. I thought this guy right is right at some level that he's going to live. His name will now live beyond his lifetime. It will. He'll be talked about several generations. We talked about him. Maybe my grandkids will talk about him. People in Huntington will talk about him longer than the, than the rest of the world will. But eventually, nobody's going to care anymore. He might have bought a legacy beyond his lifetime, but he did not buy an eternal legacy. There's nothing we can do to purchase that. We can't buy our freedom beyond, beyond the grave. So that's his first interjection. Nothing in this world can alter the scales of eternity. And the second one is just the follow-up. So if you try to go after accumulationism, if you say, I will reject God's way, I will go my way, I will take money, that will be what brings me comfort. That will be what saves me. Or I will go after this or that. And he says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. But it doesn't matter, right? Like, even if after you die, people are like, man, like I really had it together. It's God's opinion that matters. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. It's the Old Testament word for hell, death, shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. Confidence in anything else but Jesus is foolish. That's the bottom line of this. Your portfolio, your dreams, your bank account, whatever. They're being a dead horse at this point. You put your confidence in anything else. And the destination, the eternal destination for them is not with God in heaven. I thought about this this week. You might be able to fund 
five-star reservations in this life, but none of us can bankroll five-star reservations in the life to come. Only Jesus can bankroll, bankroll those reservations for us. So I guess what I would say to myself and all of us is, is we need to wake up. Like we really do. I need to. Because the life that we're living now will matter in eternity. The things that we love and give our lives over to now are going to matter for eternity. And I so frequently buy the lies of, of accumulating. I want more stuff. More things. My VeggieTales fans out there will remember Madam Blueberry. She was a real winner. They told her happiness waits at the stuff mart, and she believed them. And remember, she filled her home. It's like three people that do. Uh, she filled her home with all the stuff from the stuff mart, and eventually it, like, you know, leans over, which is so like real life, a tree would actually do that. But uh, anyway, that ice storm really showed us that. But uh, anyway, so it leans over. You know, you were there. I was there. I mean, I really was there with her in person. I'm not funny today. I need a vacation. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Is it usually funny? No. No. Here's one you'll know, Tom Brady, right? After his third Super Bowl ring, I don't know if you guys saw this, he did his... Uh, interview with 60 Minutes, and he sat there, and he said, I quote, he said, why do I still have, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He says, there's got to be something more, and then he kind of pauses, and the TV interview asks him, what is it? And Tom Brady shakes his head, and he says, I wish I knew. And then he pauses, and earnestly says again, I wish I knew. I guarantee he's still saying the same thing after six if he hasn't found Jesus. There's this viral, at least it's shown up on my Facebook feed a bunch, of this boy who was valedictorian of his class. Looks like it's probably some sort of private Christian school. And he's on video giving his little speech, and he starts out kind of funny, but what he's getting after is this point that he had worked so hard for the honor of valedictorian, for that accomplishment that he had kind of sold himself out in some other areas. And he says this. He says, I got it. I got the award at our senior award ceremony, and it felt so good when I heard my name announced for this title. So good for about 15 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds of my heart racing and my adrenaline pumping. 15 seconds of, yeah, I won. 15 seconds of being on the top of the pile of all my accomplishments, and it felt euphoric, but there must come a 16th second. And on that 16th second, I sat down on my seat, I looked at my silver stall that says valedictorian, and I thought, that's it? What just happened? And he goes on to talk about how he had gone after things that were not eternal and sacrificed the things that that all. So maybe you're here today and you're chasing money, but maybe it's something else. Maybe you're chasing experiences or accomplishments or status. Maybe you're chasing all that stuff through your kids. 
That doesn't excuse you either. Maybe a job title or something. Maybe comparison to others leaves you feeling impoverished. And so you just sit and think to yourself, if I just had more of what hashtag too blessed to stress over there has, then I'd be happy. Maybe I'll chase after what it looks like to to be a quote-unquote good pastor. Maybe we as a church will chase after a space, like when they sell this space, we got to find us a space, and they'll just consume ourselves with that. If we do that, we'll, we'll waste it all. So are we willing to face the truth today that we cannot buy anything in eternity with our own income, with our own experiences, with our own opportunities? There's going to be a 16th second for all of us. There'll be a final breath for all of us, and not a single thing this world has to offer can buy your freedom. Back to the question. He's interjected wisdom for us, and now he comes back to answer it as we close. He says, "We've seen." He says, "I I ask myself, should I fear in times of trouble?" And then I look and I see that that no matter how wealthy anyone is, no matter how accomplished anyone is, they cannot buy freedom in eternity. And that the pathway of accumulating stuff is a pathway for for fools. But here's my confidence. God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. God will rescue his children. Regardless of what they've accumulated, God will rescue his children. He will receive his children. Who can ransom our souls, though? That was the question from the beginning, and we know the answer. Jesus, the Son of Man, came not to be served, not to accumulate a bunch of servants for himself, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're not a Christian, this is the most important two minutes of your day. The Bible says that sin, the wrong things that all of us are guilty of varying ones for each of us, but guilty all the same. Separate us from eternity with God. But God gave his son Jesus. And Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. What it means is he paid the price that I couldn't pay. He paid the price that you couldn't pay on the cross. He was buried and he was raised from the dead three days later. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he paid the ransom you couldn't pay, and you'll be saved. It's that simple. And then you can have the same confidence that the psalmist has. Be not afraid when a rich man becomes rich. When the glory of his house increases, for when he dies he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go, uh, go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. And that's the end of the song. He roots his confidence, though, in those two interjections that we just saw fleshed out. The reason he says that you need to have zero fear 
If you are a child of God here today and you are following after God, you are on the right path regardless. Suffering comes, you're still on the right path. If other people succeed around you, even though they're not following after God, you're still on the right path. So three things. One, don't fret. Don't churn. Don't envy. Own the wisdom of God. I need to own that wisdom for myself, and you need to own it for you. Second, seek the kingdom. I almost was going to state this negatively. I was going to say renounce the world. That sounded real dramatic, or stop consuming, or refuse the lie of, of accumulationism. And then I went positive, and I said, I was going to say covet the kingdom, but I was like, that'll be confusing to people. The Bible says, thou shalt not covet. So I said, seek the kingdom. Jesus did too. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Might we be people who say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not our own kingdom, not our own desires. I love this quote by Thomas Brooks. Adversity has slain her thousands but prosperity has slain her ten thousands. The idea that when we get all the things we want, it's often worse for us because we don't know how desperately we need God and how desperately we need his kingdom. And the last thing is, is leverage what you have. Some of us are rich, perhaps by American standards, maybe not, but all of us are rich by global standards. If you made $20,000 last year, you're in the top 10% of income earners in the world. Congratulations, you made it. <laughs> My point is this, varying levels, we all can, can leverage at least part of our income for the kingdom, but don't stop there. We all have talents, resources, skills, networks, experiences, accomplishments, influence that we can leverage for the kingdom of God, for the advance of the gospel, whether it's serving the church or serving a nonprofit or investing ourselves in our neighbor, love your neighbor as you love yourself to see the kingdom advance, no matter what the cost. Jim Elliott was martyred on January 8th 1956 at 38 years old he went to Ecuador to share the gospel with people who had never heard of Jesus and he died there had a spear run through him he had said this in his journal and then he had to live it he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose so for us might we understand the way the kingdom measures success and wealth and ownership. And may it transform the ways that we live our lives. Nothing in this world that this world has to offer can register any weight on the scales of eternity. Only Jesus can, and he has. So seek him and follow him fearlessly. Father, you're good today. You're so good. 
our TVs might go in and out. I might be tired and trip over my words. We, we all have stuff going on that reminds us that we are less than maybe what we desire to be. And it can so easily, for me, and for all of us, it can be so easy for us to think that the answer is just go get something, some experience or some new thing or whatever. And I'm so prone to that. Save us from ourselves. May we, as your children, seek first the kingdom of God. May we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May that be the testament of our lives. May we trust you, that you care for your children, you protect your children, you deliver your children, and so we need not fear. Wherever our obedience to you takes us, even if it takes us to having less than maybe what we want, or if it takes us to a place where those who have more than us have control over us, we trust trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.